Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 35. My name is Phil and joining me is Rohan. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. And today we have two very special guests. First one is Robbie. Good morning. Morning. And Stephen as well, who is also another iOS developer. Hey, Stephen. Morning. We have a big release coming out for the iOS app, which both of you have made the time to come and talk to us. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, happy to be here. Same. So before we uh, get onto that, we'll start with the latest Home Assistant release, which is 0.79, and some big features coming out this week, which the first one is the new device registry. This allows integrations to tell Home Assistant not only about entities, but also which devices that the entities represent. So this was something that Paul has mentioned to us at least, maybe offline or in the last episode, for his big new features that are coming to Home Assistant. So this is the the first way that Home Assistant is becoming a a bit more user-friendly and more device-centric. So it'll be moving stuff away from the YAML files and more focused on the UI. So that's really cool. I'm excited about this one. Yes. Yeah, finally, right? Seriously, I know. Also on that note, um, the integration quality scale. So... To make how how integrations uh, integrate better, essentially, uh, or or how good or or poorly uh, an integration integrates with Home Assistant and your entire environment, uh, basically they're going to be opening up a scale to say different different levels of hey, is it good or is it amazing? And here's uh, a list of essentially ways to improve that integration, right? So, oh, so that's so now you'll be able to go, for example, against the Philips Hue integration and go, okay, this is rated five stars out of five as a, a good quality integration with Home Assistant. Exactly. Whereas, uh, let's say, let's say you're using a custom component that you know isn't maybe it's not fully done, or, or maybe it is a published component, but it's it's uh, could use a little bit of TLC. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe it's, hey, you know what, I have this light component, but it doesn't handle dimmers, even though dimmers exist for that platform, right? So there's a caveat there. And, you know, maybe that that will lower the quality of the integration as well there. Yeah. And so as a uh, component and platform developer, I built um, the HTML5 notifications, for example, Fitbit, Uber, GTFS, a couple of other ones. I'm really looking forward to this because it's been hard for me personally as a user without digging into code to determine what's actually like a relevant or useful integration versus one that is just, you know, somebody built one time and hasn't maintained. Yeah. Um, and, and this would especially be useful for the more complex integrations. I know over the years we've had issues with the Lutron integration um, as Lutron has made changes. And yeah. that integration has now been rewritten, I think, four or five times from scratch. <laughs> um, you know, And so um, I hope that the, the integration quality scale will kind of get people in the mindset of understanding that, you know, this integration is, quote, provided with warranty or without, you know, just meaning what the quality level is. Um, so, and Paulus actually has discussed adding a uh, support requirement possibly in the future to the quality scale, which could also be an interesting thing. Um, mm. So, yeah, so my understanding is that if 
if you stop supporting it, then it could lose its badge and possibly even be removed from Home Assistant. Um, so would that be wow. a, the, the developer stopping support, or would that be like the service yeah. stopping support? Yeah. Well, I mean, the service stopping support we already remove, you know, mm-hmm. if if it makes sense. But um, yep. yeah, developer stopping. So I mean, that's way way far down the road. But um, yeah, still an interesting thought that you know this can put us down that path. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, multi-factor authentication support is now available in 0.79. Uh, if you're using a username and password to log into your Home Assistant instance, you can now have Home Assistant send you a unique one-time code in order to log in, similar to how your bank would send you an SMS or use the Google Authenticator app on your phone. Uh, this now works with any notification platform available in Home Assistant, so you can use Google Hangouts, PushBullet, the, even the iOS app. They're all available. You can just have that send you a unique code to log in. So that's a great security feature as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Also, the uh, Logitech uh, Circle component has been added. You have the camera and sensor platform. It goes by Logi. So I guess that's Logitech's cool, new, trendy way of calling themselves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so essentially, it's, uh, you now have support for that platform. You've got it. Logi is what they call their... Uh... Their IoT brand is my understanding. Yeah, they're, they're still yeah. Logitech for keyboards and iPhone devices and stuff. Yeah, it, it's interesting because if you go to Logi.com, I think it does take you to Logitech.com, and because it, it is like you said, it's a subset of their stuff, right? So, yeah, I don't know why brands do that. You have a good name with your first name, just stick with it. But oh well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, we got an email from Adam. He emailed us feedback at haspodcast.io to say the spotlight episode on developing for Home Assistant inspired me to have a go at creating an integration. So as a starting point, I have created a new sensor platform to integrate Home Assistant with a UK bank called Starling. And the initial functionality allows your account balance to be exposed as a sensor in Home Assistant. So uh, well done, Adam. Thank you very much for your contribution. We're glad the spotlight episode helped you out. Yeah, I'm glad you guys got him to do that. Yeah. But I'm terrified. <laughs> you don't, don't want to do it? I, I I don't know when I'd want my bank account just like pop up, popping up in my house. <laughs> exactly, it right? Be, but if he's got a reason, I'm happy for him. I definitely yeah. hope that that gets a platinum on the quality scale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd, yeah, you'd need it to be very secure, right? Yeah. But, you know, Adam, it's, it, I'm happy to hear that you uh, decided to start developing after hearing the podcast. You know, developing on a home assistant is so easy. Most people, even without programming experience, honestly can get started doing it. You know, for something I was about to say as simple as adding a bank sensor, but, <laughs> you know. Anyway. I know. You think of all the security protocols and all the extra stuff you'd have to go through. Yeah, exactly. Surely a bank wouldn't be the easiest, but yeah. fair enough, Adam's done it. So yeah. Kudos to you, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so there's also a new Facebook group. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out yet, the link is in uh, in the show notes. It's, well, it's facebook.com slash group slash home assistant. But if you don't want to type that out, check out the show notes and uh, feel free to join. So that is similar to how Home Assistant has the community forums and such. And it's just another platform. I um, I helped put together the, the 
group a couple, I guess, months ago at this point uh, with yeah. Carlo Costanzo, who already had an existing group going with a couple of hundred people. And so we decided to kind of make it official. And so we attached it to the, the Home Assistant Facebook page, which I also help manage. And I'm really shocked at how well the group has been picked up. I think it kind of fills a gap between people using like Reddit or Twitter yeah. um, for those those shorter questions and users that actually understand how the where the community forms are and how to use them and things like that. Um, so we're getting some really good discussions going on. I monitor it pretty closely, and so yeah, very happy. We're at um, we're at just over two thousand members already. Wow. So. Um, yeah, yeah, and the the Facebook page itself, I think, has six thousand or something. So we're already a third of the way there to the same number of likes. So, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's great. Yeah. So we have Robbie and Stephen joining us today to talk about the new iOS app and the the changes coming to the iOS app, I should say. So, Robbie, can you sort of introduce yourself, and then Stephen will we'll get you to do the same and just tell us how you came about to where you've been working and where you are today with working on Home Assistant. Sure. So um, I live in Oakland, California. I have been involved in one way or another in Silicon Valley since about 2011. Um, worked a fair number of positions, um, everything from personal personal health to uh, geospatial systems to communication systems for colleges. And now I am the CTO of a large uh, media uh, company that works with influencers on Facebook, as well as provides content to other uh, media publishers like uh, Condé Nast and Daily Dot. So I've been working with Home Assistant now for, I think, four years. Yeah, four years sounds about right. I wow. think. Yeah, actually, now I'm thinking about it, I definitely was there around... 0.21, I think. Yeah, I think that's actually when my first integration happened. I just got very tired of smart things and just, it was, this wasn't directly why I created the iOS app, but smart things just at the time had such a bad app. It was slow, um, just rarely updated. And I just, I think I had an, we had, they had an outage one time and I just said, this is enough. Like, I'm done. And I somehow randomly found Home Assistant. I think it might have been through Hacker News. And I got it set up and immediately fell in love. I think within the first week or two, I wrote the Uber platform as a sensor. Boo. Sorry. <laughs> that'll, that'll become clearer later. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll become clear. Perfect. And Stephen, how about you? Well, so that, so that, that last boo doesn't become a weird thing. Uh, I now work on – I work at Lyft on the iOS uh, app. So, uh, <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> Yay, we have competitors. Actually, um, actually, small fact I forgot to mention. I did at one time work for Uber in their legal department, funny enough. Oh, wow. An interesting career oh, change. That, that must have been fun. Can oh, oh, no. I was not a lawyer. I was providing technical. I was writing software for their team. Uh, oh, so. okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I did not go get my JD <laughs> and then go to Uber for just a couple of months. <laughs> yeah. This just proves that we can all come together. Yeah, exactly. Work together for good. Yes, all right. Um, so yeah, I'm a uh, I'm an iOS developer at Lyft right now. I've worked on a few other apps people might know about, like uh, Google Photos, IMDb, and some others that you probably wouldn't, like the YouTube Creator Studio, which is an app for managing your YouTube channels, and a few more. 
I live up in uh, Woodenville, Washington. I spend a little time in the Valley, but I don't know how anyone affords houses down there. <laughs> yeah, uh, poorly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poorly. Apparently. So I'm back up here and uh, I got into Home Assistant. I also started with Smart Things and between internet issues and realizing Smart Things is completely useless when the internet goes, also having issues with the iOS app, I started drifting into Home Assistant and slowly migrating my stuff over there. And I just like the control that I have in Home Assistant land. And I was using the app for a while and just realized that I do this as a day job. I should probably start giving back to the community that I've gotten so much from and started trying to find ways to help out with Robbie's work. And I've just been, you know, going from there. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So I guess uh, I remember the the iOS app coming out and I thought, Robbie, was that your, you just said, that's it today. I'm going to make an iOS app and, and away I go. Or was there like, did you, how did, how did it become an official thing? So I've been, I had been wanting to write uh, iOS apps, not just for home assistant, but a number of things for a long time. Um, I had a roommate for a very long time who became a very like good iOS developer and I was always kind of jealous. Um, so I finally buckled down and did it one day. And I started with an app that allowed you to easily export your health kit data um, via webhooks. So that never saw the light of day. Um, but I said, huh, I built an app that I totally haven't released and nobody has ever seen. I can absolutely build a home assistant for iOS app. <laughs> so... Basically, I just I, I threw together a quick demo for Paulus, um, who was kind of surprised at how fast like it came together. The initial version had a fully native UI, so it didn't have the the front end like it does now, and it had support for all of the basic things: lock, switch, sensor, binary sensor, that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think that was probably in. I just did the math like last week when I put out some announcements about it. Um, that was about two and a half years ago now. And um, we had a native UI for the first couple of beta versions. I think we did a, I think we did about 60 beta versions wow. before wow. it actually went to the store. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, though, a beta version is not like a Home Assistant version. There were a, a lot of the time it was just a couple of minor changes. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easier to do betas on iOS apps than it is Home Assistant betas because Apple with TestFlight allows users to quickly get notified and install the beta. And if it doesn't work, immediately go back to the previous one. So I felt a lot more comfortable about pushing out versions much more frequently. Anyway, so as to its officialness, I guess I guess there had to have been some point at which Paulus said, yes, you can call this official. But I also <laughs> am not sure that that's the case. So anyway, <laughs> it is official now, one way or another. It's, it's still published under my name because Apple doesn't allow you to just put any name in. It has to be a legal name. And Home Assistant at the time didn't have a company set up. So eventually we'll get it moved over so it doesn't say Home Assistant by Robert Trench. <laughs> but uh but yeah it is now the one and only official mobile app for home assistant very awesome. nice yeah so how did you guys kind of get here to to where we are today so like what what is that what did that journey look like yeah so i mean i think we've done maybe 
10 releases total since it went to the App Store. Um, I was actually looking right now. No, we've got uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 7. 7 releases over about 2 years. Um, right. So we've done a number of things. We eventually ended up removing the native UI. Um, I think I saw on Reddit, maybe, maybe it was Reddit, maybe you tweeted a couple of days ago that you're, you're excited for people to, to create an Android app, but it's not as easy because there's no point in having an, uh, an Android app. One, you can have a, a WebKit-based thing on Android anyway, and all the notification platforms are on Android anyway. Yeah. And I think the difference in the iOS world is iOS is so restricted that you can't do a lot of you know the HTML5 push notifications and all that in iOS. Yeah, I, I made that comment on Reddit. Um, on a pretty popular home automation thread. Um, so just talking generally about the, the UI to start, the, the first issue is that, yes, iOS is more restrictive. It, you, know, you can't do uh, progressive web apps, which is what the front end is. Right. And so progressive web app is on Android. You can add it to your home screen, and it will actually appear as a truly native app. So it, it, it will have, you know, there's no way for you to tell, basically, that it's a HTML app. But there's still limits on it. For example, the push notifications do work, but I believe actions don't work, or you can't always get them unless the app is running yeah, or something. Right. Um, location just doesn't exist because HTML5 geolocation isn't built for what we need. And so, you know, people would have to use a third-party app. Our recommendation is usually own tracks. The native UI, both in the iOS app and Android, it's a great idea. A lot of people on the Android side have tried to implement it. Most of those apps that did implement it are now dead. I don't say that to try to get people who are working on apps now to stop working on them. It's just that I think that people realize pretty quick once they get into a native UI and a couple of releases that Home Assistant just moves so fast. Mm -hmm. There's no way to keep up. You know, especially in a mobile app where, at least on the Apple side, and even somewhat true on the Google side, you have to go through reviews. So it's not like you can push out, you know, a version every two weeks on the dot. And so you know, the time between the Home Assistant beta coming out, or the Home Assistant release coming out, I should say, and like the time it takes you to update for whatever changes in all the components um, that you support, and then test it, and then release and it. And then add the new components that were just added in. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's the other thing too, is it's like, what components do you support? I mean, the, you know, am I, am I really going to add vacuum support to the iOS app. I mean, there was there was a pull request, not a pull request. There was an architecture issue opened uh, last week, I think, where somebody wanted to add their shower as a component. Um, there's a new new model shower coming out from Cohen, I think, and it's fully connected. Got an app, got an API, everything. No, that's cool. That's awesome. I want that now. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, am I really going to add support for that? Even though, even though, just maintaining like the the I guess I would call them first party components, you know, switch, lock, binary sensor, that kind of stuff. Those also change so frequently. And the other thing too is that there's a lot of platforms that people are using that have specific attributes that would we would want to have exposed in the native UI. But I mean, the logic for for all every binary sensor, every sensor, every switch that um, had properties that we wanted to specifically expose would be thousands of lines. Yeah. So, 
Well, yeah. that, that's how you get an app that's super bloated too, right? So. Yeah, I mean, yes, that is that is one very good way to get that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling about the native UI, so feel free to to drag me back <laughs> into the center if you think I. No, am. no, not at all. I'm I'm 100 behind you. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I thought about it. I was like, oh, I'm gonna totally join this uh, team and make some cool native UI because that's kind of what I do. And then I looked at the breadth of what it was, and I just like, nope, run yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I've had a lot of people come to me, a lot of other iOS developers come to me and be like, yeah, this can't be hard. Like, let's do it. It's going to take two days. And I'm like, there's no possible way that even if it did take two days, like who's going to commit to updating that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would spend probably the total time for some of these larger releases would probably take you two to four weeks just to implement and accurately test across the board with real beta users before you could get it released out to the stores. And then talking more specifically about the Android app, a lot of people have said, why doesn't Home Assistant have an official Android app? My feeling and my speaking as a, I guess, head of mobile at Home Assistant, let's say, (laughs) my feeling and Paulus's feeling is that right now, there isn't a big reason to create an Android app in an official capacity because we just don't have the resources to devote to it. I don't use Android. I have in the past, but you know, it's not my, my, my choice anymore. Um, Paulus does, but um, as some of you might know, Paulus has been a little busy recently um, with, uh, you know, literally everything. (laughs) So he doesn't really have time and, People in the community have stepped up, but I don't think that we have seen any kind of front runner come out from, you know, the, I think we're at like five or six Android apps now. And again, it's, it's a lot of work. I only do a release for the iOS app maybe twice a year. Right. So, and, and you know, that's really just because one, there's usually a bug fix or two that has to go out. And two, you know, I always try to integrate with whatever the latest iOS uh, features are that come out. So I did a big release for iOS 10, 11, and now 12. And that kind of, I mean, we've got a 4.8 out of 5 stars on the App Store. We have over 100,000 downloads um, in, the, in the last 18 months. People obviously are loving it, and I don't get constantly harassed about bugs. Mm-hmm. And so my feeling is that just having the front end with these very tightly integrated native features, location and notifications is enough from people right now. Um, especially on iOS with things like HomeKit, yeah. um, which has such a deep integration with the OS. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously we have a amazing HomeKit integration in Home Assistant now. And I can say that because I am the I was the um, co-author with John Maddox of HomeBridge Home Assistant for a long time until we shut that down a couple of weeks ago because the HomeKit integration has gotten so good. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. So, so let's talk about kind of the releases that are coming up. So you mentioned, for for example, you guys are doing some stuff with newer platforms and such. So I guess, I guess you guys are calling it like 1.5, right? Or, or Stephen, that's really, I guess you're you're driving that release. Yeah, this is the one I've been uh, I've been digging the most into. This is the bit where the new hotness that everyone's been talking about recently is the new authentication system. Yeah, and it is really cool. But it gets very annoying if you've enabled support for it and your iPhone app can't do it. So uh, I've been reworking a lot of the code to to make it possible to 
add support for this system. And uh, it's been a fairly deep dive, but we're starting to get to the other side of it. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to let other people, you know, play with this finally. That's great. I think you've been working on it since like June, right? Oh my gosh, I know. And I thought this would be like, yeah, I'll finish this in like... <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> yeah, and, and let's be clear, nobody here is working around the clock. Yeah. I mean, both of us have, you know, I have a job that takes probably eight hours a day of work and Steven has a job probably takes a little less than eight, but he also has two kids. So, yeah. you know, we all got stuff going say it on. It takes less than eight. Yeah, exactly. I, I've had dueling deadlines and uh, now I've got, uh, I, I took this on at the same time because I... <laughs> yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it needed to yeah, get done, yeah. and that's been it's been an experience. But people seem really receptive. The, the people are really nice in uh, when they you know point out things that I could have done better, and they're, they're very cool about it. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Yes, um, and you know I'm also getting to do stuff that will benefit that that I wanted as well. Like event logging is another thing that I think probably the first yeah. thing I did which is just putting a place where you can kind of see what the app is doing uh, instead of kind of guessing about it. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's not quite where I imagine it yet. Uh, I want it to be a little bit cleaner, but it's already proved its usefulness in getting to the bottom of things during this, this beta period. So when you say event logging, you're talking about like the, the iOS app having its own lo- like debug log somewhere? Yeah. This is its own, its own like, you know, uh, app noticed it left a region. App sent a network request and it cool. failed. Uh, okay. Like th- these aren't home assistant things, but there's a lot of uh, uh, prior to that. There was a lot of like speculation as to why the app may or may not have done a thing, and now it's easier to kind of know the sequence that led to whatever issue yeah. you're yeah. having. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're somebody like me trying to troubleshoot something, right, and saying, "Hey, you know what? Like, like exactly why did this trigger go off or something like that because of my app?" Yeah. Right? Uh, it's- it's more detailed to look at. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. So a large chunk of this work has been just refactoring, kind of centralizing a lot of like the networking logic, uh, reducing uh, repeated code so that, you know, one central call site can now know everything it needs to know about authenticating with the new system. And that's going to help us, you know, move quickly, more, move move faster in the future as we, you know, add more yeah, support of course. Uh, to things. Yeah. We've also kind of modulized things so we can now use the new OS and in like the notification uh, framework so that we can properly access your, you know, at resources from the server when you send a rich notification and it's, you know, behind the new OS, we can, we're now able to, the code is now shaped to make that possible where it wasn't before. That's going to come in really handy as well. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. And have you based it similar to the way you've done the front end so that if a new authentication platform comes out in two releases time, you don't have to push an iOS update out to support that? Correct. The way um, Paulus and crew have done this auth uh, system, it's the client can be really generic. They've done a really good job about that. And we all we had to do was create was deal with the underlying kind of architecture of his, of the auth system and give a few hooks into the app so that, you know, the, like what happens now, instead of, instead of there being a web app that had, that you have to sign into the web app and then you, the app that was doing, talking to the server for notifications and location separately, instead of them both managing their separate authentication systems, the app manages it. And then the web app loads and just, 
ask the app, hey, give me my authentication uh, information and we hand it over. And then it'll say later, if you click the sign in button, hey, the user wants to sign out. And then it tells the app to do that for it. And it's kind of at this high level so that whatever changes happen later, we're already integrated. That's cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I hope that statement doesn't bite me in the butt later, <laughs> but I think we're good. Famous last words. Yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I just want to touch on that for a moment of um, Paulus and I recently have been talking more and more about the iOS app and the front end. And I think that this kind of shows, um, the authentication API shows how we can very, very tightly integrate the iOS app with the front end to the point where we were discussing the possibility of having the iOS app settings entirely in the front end. And then the front end would communicate back to the iOS app. So, you know, I think going going back to an even earlier topic, I think for the, the long term, we're locked in on the front end, um, on using the front end versus a native mm-hmm. API or native UI, mm-hmm. sorry. And so now we're kind of at the point where we just want to tightly integrate as much as possible so that, you know, sign on, sign off, uh, settings all of that integration is as tight as possible and seamless for the user yeah that's That's awesome say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill well, it, it, at the end of the day, like you said, it, it makes life easier for you guys as well, right? As developers or, or yeah. anybody else helping out on the project too, as developers, it's, you know, you work with the underlying uh, piece that, that Home Assistant Core takes care of. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it lets us spend time focusing on like the things people actually want to use the iOS app for, such as notifications. Um, you know, I think... I personally think that we have probably one of the most, if not the most powerful notification systems of any, literally any app in the iOS store. I don't think any app, any other app allows you to customize and build your own rich iOS notifications like we do. I would say the same with location. We have a very advanced location system, which supports any number of features that most apps don't even think about. Um, so, I mean, I think we're we're very close to the point of even surpassing own tracks, which I kind of hold as the gold standard for location updating on mm, mobile. Very cool. So, because one point five has a whole bunch of location improvements, doesn't it? Yeah. So, a bunch of interesting things there. The the first big thing, and this is one of the few things that I added to this release that Stephen didn't work on, is we've added core motion support. So, core motion is a framework in iOS that allows for detection of Um, how you are moving at the moment that we go to update your location. So now in Home Assistant for iOS 1.5, whenever your location does update, you'll see a new property being sent to Home Assistant, which will allow you to build automations based on how you are moving. So iOS can natively detect if you're stationary, walking, running, in a car, or if you're on a bicycle. So, you know, you could start building automations around, hey, if I'm out for a run right now, you know, do this thing. That's awesome. Or if I'm in the car, do that. 
Yeah. That is very, very cool. Okay. Yeah, so I don't have concrete use cases for that, but it was so simple to add that it was like, why not? Oh, there will be someone with use cases for sure. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I bet. Well, and, and I mean, I can think of one or two right now, right? It's like if I'm, for example, like, it, like I don't know how direction plays into this, but if you, you know, if it sees I'm in a car and I'm, and I'm at my office in downtown Toronto and I'm coming eastbound, it's, hey, am I going home? <laughs> right? And then, and then you can have some yeah. kind of a trigger, right? Yeah, I mean, the the app does already have directional support. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize how much data we do send as part of the location updates. But I mean, just looking at it right now, obviously, we've got your latitude and longitude. Um, but we've also got like, what caused this update? Was it a background fetch? Was it a manual update? Was it requested via push notification? The timestamp, your speed, your course, the accuracy level, your altitude, and now your motion. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, so that's already possible today. Phil and I did an episode around, around uh, you know, just saying, hey, how do we do uh, location tracking and, and how do you do all of that? So uh, I might this might actually make me switch. Uh, I think uh, I'm going to be using this natively because that's, that's just super cool. Wait, what, what are you using right now? So right now I'm actually using the SmartThings app, uh, believe it or not, and then I'm Oh, and I'm pushing that through MQTT, so... Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, you should switch. Um, I mean, again, not just for location, but notifications. Like I yeah. said, it's just seconds to none. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, use, I use the Home Assistant app just for... I mean, like, I use it at home, but... Uh, but I use I still use that one for for location. So get nice. rid of an app now. Okay. Other location improvements. We now are supporting what Apple calls visit updates. People ask me somewhat often, why can't we just have location updating every ten minutes or something? Apple doesn't allow that. You can't run a, a background process twenty four seven with a timer like that. So we have to use all of these different inputs that allow us to trigger an update. So things like background fetch, which is when Apple will actually wake up the app every couple of minutes and let us do some work for a couple of seconds or push notifications or significant location changes. This new one, Visit, is a little interesting. So iOS, for the last couple of versions now, has been able to natively detect where you go frequently. And when you enter or leave that place, alert us that you have entered or left it. We don't know the address or anything like that, but we do have the latitude and longitude. So effectively, you could you could eventually build a a new map that would allow you to see your most frequently visited places. And iOS actually will tell us the exact moment that you entered the place and left the place. And we pass that data through as well. You know, no, again, I I don't see a real use case for it immediately, but I'm sure somebody will come up with one. Yeah, I'm guessing it will be similar to the, the zones feature in, in Home Assistant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's actually a better way to explain it is think of it as zones, but instead of having to make a zone for your local Starbucks that you go to every day, the system just automatically detects it and will submit location updates for it. Cool. Okay. Hopefully this is giving some people some ideas. Yeah. 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 Well, it's giving me some ideas, so <laughs> already, already worth it for me. Well, here you go. When, when I enter the Starbucks zone... Uh, find out from my bank what my bank balance is and then remind me not to buy a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Tell me if I need to turn around. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so, so today, let me ask you guys this. And so today, if I, uh, so I'm, I'm on the beta, so I have test flight. So is this what I'm downloading if I, if I, uh, yes. Okay. 
That's very cool. Modulo a few bugs that we're still working out, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, of, of course. Um, so we have added some advanced um, advanced server options, as I call them. i got to come up with a better name. For a long time, we've had requests from people to support HTTP basic authentication. Um, we've added that. That was a simple thing. The, the other interesting one that we've added now is internal and external URLs. There are some people that don't have DNS servers running locally or haven't been able to configure DNS properly so that they are connecting to the right place, um, depending on if they're at home or not. And so now in um, 1.5, we actually will be able to detect the name of the wireless network that you're on, um, and you are able to set an internal and external URL. So when we attempt to connect to Home Assistant, if we see that you're on your Wi-Fi network, we can use one URL. And if you aren't on your Wi-Fi network or if you're on cellular, we'll use a separate URL. So That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I use this personally. Yeah. Like this is this is something I have because I've set up an HTTPS uh, nginx proxy for for accessing my setup from outside the home, and my router didn't support. I think it's called uh, hairpin DNS. Basically, uh, being able to check an internal source for what IP you should return for a given host name, so you can have a separate IP if you're inside from than if you ask for the same URL outside. So I need to have two separate URLs to so that the server, the app can continue to talk to my the server as I move in and out, and this comes in really handy. Yeah, and then the last thing I just want to touch on is so yes, the new auth API is here. We're very happy about it. We I we do apologize that it was a bit delayed, but obviously we've had other stuff going on. I do want to uh, specifically call out that we are still supporting what we call legacy authentication, meaning the API password. Right. And we took that we took that decision because um, made that decision, I should say, because this is the last iOS nine release. I, I can't remember if we already brought that up, but that would be another big warning sign to put out: is that this is the last iOS nine release of the Home Assistant for iOS app. There's a very small group of users; it's less than 300, last I checked, using iOS nine. But we needed to make sure that you know if if they are stuck in the Stone Ages intentionally on you know Home Assistant point five or something, that they are still able to use the app. Um, so we haven't removed anything, just enhanced it. Right. So I'm guessing, so that means like the iOS version 1.5 will be the last version that will work on iOS version 9. Correct. Yes. Got it. Yeah. So we made it a very good one for you. The compatibility promise that I have personally had and most apps on the App Store have is supporting the last two iOS versions. So now that iOS 12 has come out, um, we are dropping support for iOS 9. We will support iOS 10 until iOS 13 comes out and so on. So what's coming out? What's the roadmap? Yeah, so we've been working on all of this, and we've also had time for a lot of other fun stuff. So shortly after the 1.5 release, probably within two weeks or so of the 1.5 release, will be my release, which is 2.0. Now, for those of you that are saying that I was being unfair, I did give Steven the option of calling his 2.0, because I think that it is that big of an update that it's worthy of it. But he was the gentleman, and he took (laughs) 1.5, so I will be too. I'm very happy. 2.0 is the iOS 12 release. So it's building on the foundational improvements that Steven has brought us with 1.5 and really just kind of tightening everything up as well as adding support for iOS 12. So iOS 12, really not a big release um, compared to what previous uh 
iOS versions have done from Apple, um, but still some pretty good stuff we can take advantage of. The first area I'd like to highlight is notification improvements. So Apple has finally, finally given us what they call critical alerts. So critical alerts are a special type of push notification that will totally bypass any do not disturb or silent ringer, Uh, anything like that, no matter what. Yeah, so... Um, in fact, I think even if you have headphones plugged in, it will still output to the speaker as well as the headphones. So basically, you're not going to miss it no matter what. It's a it's a pretty simple thing to, to add to your existing automations um, or your existing notification payloads. It's just a single key that you add. Um, and then Apple has actually gone a step further and allows you to define what specific sound to play for the critical alert as well as what volume to play it at. Uh-huh. So... You can kind of use that volume. I mean, the thing that I think of critical alerts as being perfect for is if you're asleep and a motion sensor goes off like you aren't expecting it yeah. to or a door opens. Yeah. You know, you might want to have a motion sensor critical alert, but only at 50% volume because you have a cat walking around and sometimes it trips the sensor. But if a door opens, you want that at 100% volume. I'm very excited for that personally. Now... I do have to say that Apple kind of hasn't gotten their act together a little bit. We have to request special permission from Apple to allow our app to use this functionality. I submitted that request back in June, just one day after they announced it at WWDC this year. I still haven't heard back. And it sounds like what actually happened is that they lost all of the submissions. (laughs) So yeah, they, they, they posted a notice about that last week and I resubmitted again or sorry, three weeks ago they posted that. I submitted it again. I still haven't heard back. So I've been in touch with developer support and they've escalated it. But um, fun fact about how Apple handles developers and apps is all of the policy teams, all of the review teams are totally firewalled off from the rest of the organization. There's no possible way for developer support to talk to the team that needs to handle this uh, entitlement. So my understanding is they, they are having to escalate it basically up through the VP level to be able to get that message across. So anyway, so I, I will warn people critical alerts is a big enough thing that I am going to delay release of 2.0 until we have that entitlement. So uh, the entitlement is the permission. Mm -hmm, Um, So that might add a week or two. I'm very on top of Apple now. I'm hoping that they're not going to take longer than that, but we'll see. So do you have the ability to specify in Home Assistant as your with your automations when a critical alert is sent or is it all done on the on the app side no yeah it's it's in uh on the home assistant side okay so much like right now if you look at some of the more advanced advanced notification options that we have so things like sending a map or sending live camera view Mm -hmm. or actions you can define all of that in the payload um, at the time that you are sending a notification you do not have to pre-configure anything okay so you do have to accept the the permission on your device just one time, but after that, nothing else. So, nice. so to me, this is this is similar to how in uh, in BlackBerry they used to be able to send. Uh, what is it called? I think it was called like P one alert or something like that. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. The high priority. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So regardless, you know, if, if something's happening, it can wake you up regardless of if your you know phone is on silent or or something like that. Right. Exactly. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So critical alerts, um, it'll be interesting to see what people use. I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what people do. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Have Apple said anything about the type of apps that they'll be opening this entitlement skill up to? Like, surely this would yeah. seem more like a, 
a government-only sort of apps-only, not every single app in the app store being having the no, ability to actually, apply No, actually, thankfully, they, they aren't that restrictive. I mean, they're restrictive, but not that restrictive mm-hmm. on it. So we do fall into one of the categories that they allow. Looking at it, they are allowing healthcare, public safety, personal safety and security, enterprise in-house, and other apps. Okay, great. Um, so, so yeah, we definitely fall into one of the categories. I'm, I'm not worried about it. And developer support did say that they've gotten a couple of requests like mine of why haven't I heard anything back? So it's not like they're just ignoring me <laughs> or anything like that. Yep. Yeah. So moving on, um, again, a minor thing, but uh, still useful quality of life improvement. So iOS 12 added support for notification groups. Um, so instead of just having a big stream of notifications for the mm-hmm. one app, you can actually group them by a custom property that you can set, again, when you're sending the notification from Home Assistant. So the the best use case here would be, you know, you can, you can send the entity ID or some other unique string every time that you send a notification. And so anytime you send another notification in the future, the the future notifications will be grouped with the existing ones. So you can have like five or six different groups going in um, of notifications and they stick together. So this might um, be good for people with plant sensors, you know, have a, yes. a, like a group, okay, your plant is low on moisture yeah. and, you know, the, the soil isn't good, you know, and group them together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so that you can just get one concise update, more or less, of, you know, here's the five notifications that came in overnight relating to your plant. Um, and you can just see the whole status right there in your today view. Yeah. yeah, and the app does automatically group its notifications as well. So we, we will group zone notifications automatically as well as location notifications. And so you can easily delete that single group from your notifications if you want. Um, if you don't care about those notifications. That's nice. Yeah, it, make, it makes managing them so much easier then. Yeah, exactly. The la- the Yeah, the last thing in notifications is something that I actually I put together like in four hours last night just because once I thought about it, I realized that we should just do it and get it over with. Previously, we have supported custom actions in notifications. So custom actions allow you to um, set up buttons that will display under the notification um, when it comes in and you expand it. Um, and those buttons actually will will when you click them, they will send a notification back to Home Assistant that you can use for automations. And so you know, examples of that are, you know, if you have a notification sent whenever motion is detected in your home while you're away or asleep, you can add a, an action to that notification. And then when you tap it, um, let's say the button is sound alarm. When you tap it, Home Assistant will see an event come in that has sound alarm in it, and you can automatically trigger the alarm all without opening an app or the front end or anything. So we've already had support for that. But it, it's been very hard to configure because a combination of YAML as well as just how rich of a syntax Apple has and how many different things can get changed. So we've uh, deprecated all of that. And now you can configure all of the actions in the app, which also allows you to preview as you're working on it. So previously, you would have to configure it in YAML, and then you would have to go to the iOS app and hit update from Home Assistant, and then have to send a notification to test it. Now you just configure it all in the app, you manage it in the app, and you can hit preview in the app to see what those actions look like. Um, So yeah, that should be useful as well, kind of pulling away more from the configuration that 
we've previously done on the Home Assistant configuration side. Um, so that will also be good. That, that's amazing. You did that already? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's done. It's, it's, it's in the branch. It's tested. Yeah. It's, got, it's in the database and everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really pretty straightforward. I mean, I've I've written the code once already for supporting the Home Assistant configuration side, so it wasn't that hard to rewrite it. I got a lot of time on my hands, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude, that's amazing. I'm excited for that. That is very cool. Okay, great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that's it for notifications. Yeah. So I've heard a lot since the because the new iPhones just came out, obviously, and obviously the new iOS 12s come out. Everyone is talking about Siri shortcuts, and I have no idea what that means because I'm not a, I'm an Android user. So, can you explain <laughs> what Siri shortcuts are? Siri shortcuts are like a tasker for Android, but on iOS. Okay. So you can set up very complex actions, which you can you can trigger via Siri, you can trigger via your Apple Watch, or you can trigger manually in the Shortcuts app. So Siri Shortcuts, the Siri part of that, is a little bit of a misnomer because it's actually integrated like throughout the system in many different ways, um, but that's what Apple's calling it. Um, so now, in the 2.0 version of Home Assistant, we have support for Siri Shortcuts. So what that means is that you can make complex workflows that interact with Home Assistant. So, for example, you could set up a shortcut that you uh, trigger whenever you leave um, your office and you're on the way home, and it could do a number of things. Like, uh, it can send an SMS automatically without confirmation to your wife or partner, and then uh, it can tell Home Assistant to, pre- to prepare the home environment for your arrival by calling a service or firing an event um, via a, sh- a Siri shortcut. Um, so they're a bit limited right now in that um, Apple doesn't allow for parameters to be passed in and out as part of one of these workflows. Um, but the the trick that the iOS developer community has come up with is using the pasteboard or the clipboard. Um, and so all of these shortcuts, um, and I'll get into them in a mo- moment, all of them will interact with the clipboard to allow you to get data into and out of Home Assistant. Just to go over the shortcuts quickly, so send location, call service, fire event, get entity state, set entity state, and then get image from camera. So using call service as an example um, with that, that clipboard, um, so you can just add a generic call service into your workflow as a shortcut, or sorry, into your workflow. And um, it will automatically see what's on your pasteboard. And if you have JSON formatted the right way on your pasteboard, you uh, it will use that to call the service um, and send the data to Home Assistant. And Siri Shortcuts allows you to set what's on the pasteboard. So you can use all kinds of variables and uh, all, all these different functionalities that have been unlocked with Shortcuts with Home Assistant now, um, just through your pasteboard. That's awesome. That is neat. Yeah, kind of, a little hard to explain in audio, but I think once once you understand how shortcuts work um, and you see it in action, people will understand um, the power of this. They're very, very generic, meaning that you can you can put any kind of data in on the pasteboard that you want, um, but there's also a way that you are able to totally set up a shortcut um, and, and add it to the system so that you can just say, like, you know, uh, let's say that you don't have HomeKit or uh, Amazon Echo uh, set up. You can say, turn on my lights. 
and it will automatically call the right service with the right entity ID. So you can set that all up in the UI, or you can just use the generic actions that'll, that will just take whatever on your pasteboard. So yeah, again, kind of complex to explain, but I think anybody that understands the power of Siri shortcuts with other apps will immediately understand um, how cool this will be. Um, so, and eventually, speaking quickly about Siri, I want to get to a point probably in the next couple of months where we do have a tighter integration with Siri, specifically for the Siri watch face um, on the Apple Watch. So that would allow the app to determine when you are doing certain actions and automatically resuggest them on the watch so that you can just kind of one tap and like call a service or fire an event or something like that so you could maybe have like a list of favorites on your watch you know if you're yes and then just have it easily like a light that's on your watch that you can turn off and on quickly and easily exactly yeah yep yeah steven you might be able to add some color because i feel like i didn't explain that super well but it's very hard to explain um, I think you 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 got to the meat of it. It's a it's a layer that lets you automate things uh, with your phone, home assistant, and other apps. Combining them together, there actually might be more potential for 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 productive mayhem because they they actually let you run like random JavaScript in Safari and output results of that into other things. Ooh, and that I, sounds like it could be security issue. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is Apple. This, it's this Apple, hasn't... so they're they're pretty careful. Yeah. Um, you know, they warn you when you're doing stuff like that. Anytime that you want to run that JavaScript, um, they do pop a warning saying like, "Oh, okay, that's less yeah, fun." Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think you can override it, but yeah, uh, there's lots of things you can do. I mean, this is one of the things I was excited about in uh, iOS 12 for the for the day when I have free time to experiment with things. I think Google has gone the route of trying to understand the world. So you can just say, turn on the lights and it understands you're in this room. So turning on the lights means turn on this light, but which is cool, but it's limited in how much Google can make naturally understandable. Apple went the other way and basically allowed every app to just expose, expose things whatever whatever they do to the system and then the user can cobble together their own custom powerful script uh it's less flexible but it will have a broader reach than google has and i i'm really curious to see which system wins out but i i i think there's a lot of potential in in these series shortcuts yeah i guess yeah moving on so i do have some uh surprise announcements that i saved specifically for you uh for this podcast um so yeah um so i'm very happy to announce that um it has been somewhat requested over the years, not as much as other things that we'll get to, but we are adding Apple watch support in the 2.0 release. That's cool. So, so the watch is only going to support what Apple calls complications. So complications are the little dials and numbers that you see on the Apple watch face. Um, So it's, it's pretty again, generic and, um, it allows you to do uh, any number of crazy things with it. Um, specifically, we've added template support. So anytime that your Apple Watch goes to update the complication data, we can actually trigger uh, or we can render a template with whatever data you want. 
um, and then show that in the complication. So obviously it's pretty small screen space. So you would probably just want to do like a number or, you know, a character or two depends on what watch face you're using. So I'm guessing someone could use this to run a template to like extract the temperature inside from like a exactly. nest or, or one of their little temperature sensors that they've got already in home yep. assistant. Yep. That's exactly right. So, and this, you know, kind of the, the, other hack that this allows is any data that you can get into home assistant you can now get onto your apple watch so that's also kind of interesting because you could put i've thought for a long time about using home assistant just as a generic like put any kind of data or 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 service in to for example um i live in a apartment building that has security downstairs and they take care of my packages and deliveries and things like that and so um i already have scripts set up they, the security service calls me um, whenever there's a, a person to see me or a delivery or a package to be picked up. And I actually have counters in Home Assistant to say, you have three packages that need to be picked up. Um, and so I've put that onto a complication so that when I'm walking in the door, um, I can see if I have any packages that need to be picked up or not. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, so that's just an example um, of what's possible with the watch. There is no tight... There's no app integration, um, meaning that if you tap a, notif- a complication, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't pop up the entire front end on your Apple Watch or anything like that. Um, so, but I think at least complications are a good first step in um, exploring the watch. Yeah, definitely. It also just lo- it, it looks really cool. So, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's actually going to yeah. Be, yeah um, there's going to be a few uh, use cases, and it sounds like. You doing the templated way, you've just allowed people to do whatever data they want can be now put on there as long as it fits on the screen, of course. But yeah, that's going to be really cool. I'm going to I'm going to be excited to see what comes out of that. Sounds like I need to buy a new Apple Watch for uh, research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, research. Phil, it also sounds like uh, you might be switching to iOS here soon. Ah, also sounds like hell might freeze over. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. And then the last thing is um, we are bringing support for a Today widget. So the Today view for you users of iOS is when you pull down from the top and you get the notification sheet and then you switch to the left or swipe to the left, sorry. You have all of those beautiful widgets, um, like I've got battery and calendar, carrot weather, news. Um, so Home Assistant is going to be a widget there as well. So um, you'll be able to add it and you'll be able to customize what functionalities are in there. Um, it's just going to be buttons to start. There's not going to be any text labels or anything like that with templates, um, but you'll be able to specify um, in a similar system to how we are setting up Siri shortcuts. Um, you know, if you press this button, call this service, fire this event, that kind of stuff. So a lot of people have been asking for that for a long time. So happy to bring that to them. Um, the today area is such a a good little side area in iOS that you can just see, you know, a list of summary things. Maybe you could put in all the temperatures in the in every room as a as part of that widget or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. So Home Assistant available on every surface possible. <laughs> there you go. That was kind of my goal with this 
with 2.0 and honestly the goal now that I feel that the notification and location system have kind of of been built to their max, you know, there's really not much more work to do. I think now like the next generation, the next phase of things to work on in the iOS app is um, integration with the system um, as deeply as possible. So you see that in things like Siri shortcuts and the watch complications and the today widget, you know, there's lots of other ways that we can go. We can eventually add an action button again to allow you to call services or fire events. You know, there's, there's many, many ways to go in terms of integrating with ios it really just comes down to whatever is going to eventually win me an apple developer award at <laughs> wwdc one of these years so, so what yeah. can, so as the uh, app can you access uh details of the device i know you can get the location but could you uh pass through the battery level of the phone to home assistant so people could get you really got to switch to ios we, we've had that since day one well there so you go. we we already yeah, we already ha- we already passed through the battery status. Yep. So if it's charging, if it's draining, if it's uh, I think it's just those two states actually, and then the the percentage uh, battery as well. So and and actually that brings up another topic that I thought of uh, quickly, very quickly. So adding support for more sensors that we are sending to Home Assistant is also going to be one of my goals for the future. So we've had requests over the years, for example, to add health kit support. So let's say you want to get your steps from your phone onto Home Assistant, or you want to get your heart rate or something. Um, so right. adding support for that would be very cool. Yeah. Um, being able, I mean, there's so, if you think about it, there's so many things that we could expose to Home Assistant. Health kit alone, I think has almost 300 data points um, or categories of data that you can get, you know, everything from heart rate to how much water you've had to drink today. Um, but there's also things like, you know, uh, how many photos have you recently taken? How many, um, what your current connection type is, whether it's cellular or LTE or 3G or, or Wi-Fi. And uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of crazy things that we will be able to add um, now that, again, we have this amazing like foundational improvement that Steven has given us. So yeah, it's all it's all new features from here on out is basically what I'm trying to say, I guess. <laughs> what about iPad that support? Very cool. Have you got support for the iPad? Already supported the iPad since day one. So yep. there you go, another day one feature. So people could potentially be running Home Assistant uh, as on their kitchen wall with an iPad. Yeah, I, I have seen some people doing it um, already, so it is possible. And, you know, if you want to talk about other platforms, eventually adding macOS support, tvOS support, you know, those those could also be interesting as well. Yeah. tvOS would only be for notifications. Obviously, you don't want to be updating the location of your Apple TV, which is plugged into your TV at home constantly. And then macOS, you know, it's I think it's been pretty well known. Apple hasn't shown it as much love as iOS in the last couple of years. So, you know, we could do location, but notifications are more limited there, um, but still still doable. So, yeah, and, and again, talking about how all the amazing work Steven's done, he has really separated out the, the logic of the API and the internal mechanisms that are core to any integration or any platform that we come to. So, you know, it's really pretty easy now to kind of take that framework that he has built and drop it into a totally new app um, and adapt it to a platform. So, yeah, that's great. You guys have done just kicking goals over here. Um, You've got two releases. You've got uh, version 1.5 and version 2.0 coming out. Are they both available for beta right now? Yep. 
So right now, 1.5 is just in beta. Um, 2.0, we are holding on releasing to beta until we are confident in 1.5 and we get it out the door Mm -hmm. because the worry is that um, if we just put 2.0 out right now for beta tests, that people are going to immediately start using it and they're not going to catch bugs that were actually introduced in 1.5 versus 2.0. Right. Yeah. So Steven is currently targeting... um, uh, 1.5 to be released to Apple for review within about two weeks of um, this coming Monday. So uh, September 1st, or sorry, geez, oh, October 1st. <laughs> oh, where does it go? Um, so so two weeks from October 1st at, at I hesitate to say at worst, <laughs> knock on wood. Oh, but man, uh, don't do that to me. <laughs> but um yeah but and then the 2.0 release um the timing is, is questionable just because it we are ready to put it out for beta as soon as we feel comfortable in the 1.5 beta process so meaning that if you know we are confident in 1.5 and it's going to take a couple more days for Apple to review it, or we've just got to do some you know, minor touch-ups, we would release 2.0 to beta then. But anyway, assume that 2.0 will come out uh, within two weeks of the 1.5 version being released to the store. So no later than November 1st is when you would see um, all of this goodness coming to you. So uh, 2.0 as an official release, not a beta release? Correct, yeah. yes. Yeah, nice. as soon as as soon as one point five is on the store, it, it's two point oh. We'll oh, go to beta. I'm, I swear, I'm gonna get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pressure's on. No, 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 no pressure. <laughs> no, I want it out there as but as badly as everyone else does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we all do. So, um, and actually, I, I should also add too, um, as we're kind of wrapping up, that I opened up uh, public beta signups this week. So for a long time, Apple would mm-hmm. only allow you to add beta testers by getting their email, their first name, and their last name. Um, they finally, as of this week, have allowed for a, a link to be generated, which any number of users can sign up with. Um, we're at over 700 users as of this morning, wow. um, just in the last 72 hours that have signed up so um thank you to everybody who's beta testing please keep giving us that feedback because it is you know super super uh required for us to get both these releases out the door um so i'm hoping we crack a thousand people in the next week um, which would be amazing i mean steven and i were talking last night about how much more confident we're both feeling knowing that instead of the like 30 users that we had beta testing now we have you know almost a thousand exactly yeah it's so. gonna give you a lot more confidence yeah exactly and if you're looking to sign up um we'll put a link in the show notes i guess yeah definitely there's always the ios section of the forms which has the beta testing link pinned to the top oh i think i also saw it in the facebook group as well if i'm not mistaken yes yeah yeah i try to whenever we we make a announcement on the facebook page that i also publish it into the group so just because we want to reach everybody All right, so I have one last topic, which is going to be very short. Think of this as the one more thing of this podcast. Oh, boy. So, drumroll. Obviously, obviously Paulus was on last week's episode, I think. He was. Talking about, yeah, Yeah. Nabucasa. So, in discussion with him, uh, our our plan in the next while, I'm not going to assign specific dates to it, is to add 
Home Assistant cloud support to the iOS app. That means that you will no longer have to have a port open on your router. You will no longer have to deal with DNS. You will just be able to sign in to the Home Assistant cloud in the iOS app, and you're done. We do not have a timeline on this. It is not going to be a 1.5 or 2.0. There is not going to be a surprise. But down the road, that is going to be one of our future goals, is to integrate with Home Assistant Cloud directly. We would, of course, not be removing the existing connection method. So nobody's going to you know, have to make the terrible choice between subscribing to cloud and, and uh, setting up port forwarding and stuff. This is going yeah, to be so um, much easier. Yeah. Yes. But also equally yeah. good that you guys are supporting backwards compatibility for those that won't have Home Assistant Cloud as well. So, yes, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. People will appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do absolutely recommend, even if you don't use any of the features, even if you don't believe in giving your data to the Home Assistant Cloud, whatever, still subscribe. It supports the developers, it supports the forms. The forms are not cheap to run. I help maintain them. It, it, please just. It's five dollars a month, and it's it's it goes to a good cause, yeah. I guess. So yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on, and thank you for all your hard work, both uh, Robbie and Stephen. You've done an outstanding job on the iOS app, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's really cool to see all the future plans and future updates you're bringing out as well. A pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And we'll have to get you guys back on another episode and, and really break down how you guys are using Home Assistant because I'm I'm guessing you guys have got some really cool setups as well. Happy to. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you very much. Well, thanks so much for the time, guys. No, you're welcome. All right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.